What does Paul's ascent to the third heaven reveal about God's work in the world? Lisa Bowens is assistant professor of New Testament at Princeton Theological Seminary. In this interview, Lisa helps listeners understand the significance of Paul's ascent as she talks about her book, An Apostle in Battle, Paul and Spiritual Warfare in 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 10. You're listening to The Distillery at Princeton Theological Seminary. Lisa, thank you so much for joining me here today to um, talk about your new book. Um, Thanks for having me. We're glad you're here. Your recent book is a deep dive into 2 Corinthians 12, verses 1 to 10. And before we jump into your work, would you please read that passage for us? Sure. So I'll be reading um, chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. It is necessary to boast, although it is not beneficial, but I will proceed to visions and revelations of the Lord, which are beneficial. I know a person in Christ about 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, whether out of the body I do not know, God knows such a person was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a person, whether in the body or whether apart from the body I do not know, but God knows. I know that such a person was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words which are not permissible for a person to speak. In behalf of such a one, I will boast, but in, half, but in behalf of myself, I will not boast except in weaknesses. For if I should want to boast, I will not be foolish, for I would speak the truth. But I refrain, lest someone thinks in regard to me above what he sees in me or hears from me. And because of the extraordinary nature of the revelations, indeed for this very reason, in order that I may not be lifted up, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, an angel of Satan, in order to strike me, so that I may not be lifted up. About such a thing I prayed three times to the Lord, that it would go away from me. And he said to me, My grace is enough for you for power is manifested in weakness. Therefore, gladly I will boast all the more in my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell upon me. Therefore, I am content in weaknesses and in insults and in hardships and persecutions and difficulties for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. Thank you. Okay, so my initial response when I hear this is, what is Paul talking about? Can you say a little bit about what is notable about this passage um, for for us, for the reader? Yes, there are a lot of different things going on here. Um, So this passage has been called bizarre Mm -hmm. and intriguing because of all its different tantalizing elements. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's a heavenly journey in this passage. Paul goes to the third heaven. Um, He receives a thorn in the flesh. He receives revelations and he hears things that he can't repeat. Mm -hmm. So um, this passage is quite intriguing for a number of reasons. Some of the common assumptions that people have when they look at this passage is that the thorn in the flesh is given to Paul by God. Mm -hmm. That's one of the common assumptions. Another assumption is that the thorn in the flesh is possibly a sickness or illness, maybe some type of human opponent that Mm -hmm. Paul faces. 
So there are a lot of different things going on in the passage, and there are different ways different people have interpreted it. Mm-hmm. What are some of the ways um, that people have interpreted it, I guess, through, throughout history? What are some of the common yeah. um, uh, interpretations that you've heard or our listeners probably may have heard? Yeah, so one of the um, dominant ones, I would say, in scholarship is the one in which Paul is responding to these opponents who have come into the Corinthian congregation. Mm -hmm. And in this interpretation, the opponents have come into the congregation and they are in some way deceiving the Corinthians away from the true gospel that Mm -hmm. Paul has preached to them earlier. And one of the ways in which they are doing this is that they are boasting of their own visions and revelations. And so Paul is in some way responding to their own boasting about their visions and revelations and saying, well, I have visions and revelations too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I, in fact, have gone to the third heaven. And so on this interpretation, um, many scholars think that Paul brings this up to kind of trump his opponents. Mm -hmm. And in doing this, he brings it up in a way to kind of dismiss the importance of these type of visions and revelations. So he brings it up, but at the same time kind of... um, disqualifies these type of experiences okay. yeah. from apostolic credentials. Yeah. yeah. So that's a common, a common. Yeah. Reading, it's reading. really common. And I didn't realize how common it was until I did my research for my book. Okay. Um, that, that is one of the dominant interpretations. Okay. Now, yeah. But he's, when he does this, he speaks of himself in the third person. Yes. So what's that about? Why is he yeah. doing that? Yeah. So I think Paul is doing something narrative here mm-hmm. because we know that these letters were um, read out loud to the congregation. And so at the end of chapter 11, mm-hmm. he talks about how he escaped from Eratos's ethnarch. And so I think what Paul is doing here is kind of leaving his leading his audience in suspense. So okay. is the person who went to the third heaven the same person who has escaped from the hands of Eratos. And so when you get to, Paul kind of moves back between first person, third person, Mm -hmm. and then he goes back to the first person. And he doesn't go back to the first person in chapter 12 until he starts depicting this ascent as a weakness. And so when he comes to the point of the ascent to talk about his weakness, he moves back to the first person. Okay. So I think it's a narrative move, but also the fluidity between the first, third, and first is kind of mirroring his journey to the third heaven. So what's at stake for Paul in this passage? I think there's a lot at stake. I think that there's more to it than Paul just responding to his opponents. Mm -hmm. And um, I think one way we get a glimpse into what he's doing is if we look at the letter overall, Mm -hmm. because even from the beginning of the letter, Paul kind of sets up this cosmological apocalyptic Mm -hmm. um, demarcation, if Mm -hmm. you will, Mm -hmm. in which Satan is on one side, in which Satan is um, about the business of opposing the knowledge of God and opposing the gospel. Mm -hmm. So in 4.4, he talks about the God of this age blinding the minds of the unbelievers. Mm -hmm. And then in chapter 11, he talks about um, how he's afraid that the Corinthians are being deceived away from the gospel. And it's important because those two verses in 4.4 and 11.3, Paul uses a particular term called naima, which means minds or thoughts. Mm -hmm. So in both verses, Paul is lifting up this demonic assault, if you will, against the mind and against the knowledge of God. So in two different cases, the 
God of this age is blinding the minds of the unbelievers. In chapter 11, um, these false ministers, these opponents mm-hmm. who Paul calls servants of um, Satan, are in the business of deceiving the Corinthians away from the gospel. So I think Paul, throughout the letter, is really um, emphasizing this epistemological affront um, okay. by the by Satan and Satan's forces trying to deceive believers away from the gospel. So when we get to chapter 12 in Paul's ascent, when he faces this satanic angel, this messenger of Satan, he says, this is another attempt that he's trying to show the Corinthians that Satan is trying to stop his ascent into the third heaven and um, really is about trying to stop Paul from receiving revelations and visions from God. So we see that Paul is really kind of painting a portrait for the Corinthian congregation of what um, satanic elements are up to. They're trying to stop the gospel. Mm -hmm. They're trying to stop the spread of the knowledge of God in the earth. And even Paul's ascent becomes an example of satanic opposition against the gospel. Okay, so you talk a lot about this cosmology and its relationship to apocalyptic. Just for the listener, can you briefly define both those terms like as you understand them, the cosmology and apocalyptic? Yeah, yeah. so I'm using those two terms interchangeably, mm-hmm. and I use them interchangeably in my book. But basically, they have the connotation of human beings and spiritual beings are sharing social space. Okay. And so you have this, the human sphere and the superhuman sphere, they are very much interlinked. And Mm -hmm. so what happens in the human sphere affects the superhuman sphere and Mm -hmm. vice versa. So I think when we look at it in terms of Paul's worldview and Paul's Mm -hmm. environment, there's very much this idea that there's a realm of angels, um, Satan, spirits, God, the Holy Spirit, but all Mm -hmm. of those elements um, affect the human realm. And so they are definitely about sharing social space. And so when we see in 2.11, even at the beginning of the letter in 2.11, Paul talks about um, Satan taking advantage, trying to take advantage of the Corinthian congregation. And Mm -hmm. so you can see even there at the beginning of the letter, this idea of Paul in which Satan can affect human beings. Mm -hmm. But also, when we see later in the letter as well, that human beings can affect the superhuman realm through prayer, through um, loving each other, and Mm -hmm. kind of just kind of making a stand against the opposition of the enemy. And this, that, I mean, that worldview is not just Paul's. That's the view of the culture and and the people he's writing to. Mm -hmm. And so all this sounds a whole lot less strange to them yes. than it might sound to some of us. Yes, okay. yes. You also argue that Paul's narration of his ascent is at least in some way related to his conflict with his opponents in Corinth. You've talked about a little bit. Could you tell us a little bit more about who these opponents are and why are they a problem for Paul's ministry in Corinth? Yeah, those are good questions. So... Who exactly are his opponents? I mean, that's hugely debated. Mm -hmm, (laughs) But mm -hmm. we can tell a little bit from Paul's letters of who they are in in the sense of we know that they are Jewish Christians. Paul talks in chapter 11 about are they Hebrews, so am I. And he gives this list. So we know they're Jewish Christians. We don't exactly know where they originate from. Some think they come from the Jerusalem church. Other scholars think they may um, be other Jewish Christian missionaries. Mm-hmm. So there's 
huge debate as to exactly who they are and where they come from. But one of the things Paul talks about when he describes them in chapter 11, the first part of chapter 11, is he says that they are proffering a different gospel than what he has proclaimed. And they are preaching another Jesus. And so um, we can gather a little bit from what Paul says in which he describes them. Mm -hmm. And that whatever they're preaching, Paul seems to think it's not what he has preached to the Corinthians originally. Mm -hmm. And that they are somehow, he says, operating under a different spirit. So a spirit other than the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. than what the Corinthians have received. And he also, in chapter 11, kind of also further characterizes their actions against the Corinthians. He says that they are enslaving the Corinthians. They are taking advantage of them. He uses the word darrow, which can mean beat or strike. Mm -hmm. So some people think that maybe these um, missionaries are perhaps causing physical harm in some way to the Mm -hmm. Corinthians. So the portrait that Paul paints of these missionaries or these um, people who have come into the Corinthian congregation is not a very good picture. Mm -hmm. It seems like they are creating a very oppressive atmosphere in the Corinthian congregation. And the type of gospel they're preaching is definitely not the liberating gospel that Paul has preached to them earlier. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the title of your book is An Apostle in Battle. Um, So another key theme throughout 2 Corinthians and and here is Paul's use of military or martial language, particularly in the passages leading up to 2 Corinthians 12, Mm -hmm. 1 to 10. How would this language and imagery have impacted the way Paul's original audience would have interpreted um, his ascent? And what what should we make of, of it today? Yeah, so um, Paul definitely uses a lot of martial imagery. Um, Most people notice it in chapter 10 because it's very much in a heightened, appears in a heightened manner there Mm -hmm. because you have all of these military terms. Mm -hmm. Strateuo, stratia, akuruma, akbaletitso. So, and he kind of piles it on there. He also begins using military language earlier in the letter. And I think when he comes to chapter 10, it just becomes a heightened expression of this martial imagery. Mm -hmm. So it appears in chapter 10 and chapter 11, his peristasis catalog, where he talks about all the things he's gone through for the sake of the gospel, Mm -hmm. such as being stoned, um, being cold, um, not having food. All Mm -hmm. of these types of hardships that he lists are very much hardships that people went through as they were training for military combat. And even on the military field. So I think when um, this letter is read out loud to the Corinthian congregations, I think this kind type of rhetoric would have resonated with them a lot. Mm -hmm. I think they would have recognized this as military imagery and would have seen how Paul is trying to paint for them this really larger cosmic conflict that their congregation is a part of. So it's not... In Paul's view, it's not just about these opponents. Mm -hmm. He wants them to see the bigger picture. Who is operating behind these opponents? Mm -hmm. Um, What type of spirit is operating behind these opponents? And he also wants the Corinthians to recognize that they, too, are part of this conflict. And so they can't be persuaded by these Intruding missionaries, if you will, Mm -hmm. even though they are eloquent speakers. That was one thing I forgot to mention, that they from Paul's description of these missionaries, they seem to be very elegant speakers. Mm, okay. And so 
Um, they can talk well. They can do all these things well that Paul says he can't do because yeah. he talks about I'm untrained in speech. Yeah. So they've 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 <laughs> captured the Corinthians' attention basically. Yes, yeah, yes. with their eloquence. And okay. Paul is trying to get them, the Corinthians, to see that it's the conflict is much larger than this. You can't okay. just focus on the opponents. Let's look at the larger picture of what's going on. There's a larger conflict between God and Satan, and um, we have to be aware of how Satan uses different devices to deceive people away from the gospel. What are some other biblical texts or extra-biblical texts that might help us understand Paul's worldview um, as it's reflected in this passage? Yeah, thanks for that question. So one of the things I do in the book is I look at other ascent texts Mm -hmm. because the the ascent is central to 12, 1 through 10. And so I look at other ascent texts that are roughly contemporaneous with Paul and see how they talk about heavenly ascents and then earthly descents. Okay. So I look at passages in which human beings are going to different levels of heaven. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also passages where um, hum- heavenly, heavenly beings are coming to earth. Mm-hmm. So one of the passages I look at is Daniel where Daniel is um, in the midst of prayer. And finally, the angel answers his prayer 21 days later. And he says, I would have come earlier, but I was held up because of this conflict that I was in with this other angelic Mm -hmm. being. So that's one of the passages I look at to talk about conflict in the heavenly realms. And so I think when we look at different texts, such as Daniel, I also look at Apocalypse of Abraham. I look at Martyrdom of Isaiah and Ascension of Isaiah. So I think when we look at these other ascent texts, it gives us a a bigger picture of what is going on even in Paul's ascent because he portrays his ascent in a way, too, that shows that there is conflict there because he meets a messenger of Satan, an angel of Satan, um, that tries to hinder his ascent. And I think when you look at the other ascent texts, you see that Paul is very much in that same cultural discourse. One of the arguments you make in the book deals with how Paul depicts himself as an agent of knowledge. Mm. How does knowledge play a role in Paul's situation? Yeah, so I think that's one of the main issues going on in the Corinthian congregation, Mm -hmm. that Paul sees satanic elements coming in to deceive the Corinthians away from the gospel. Mm -hmm. And so for Paul, the knowledge of God, which he uses that language in chapter Mm -hmm. 4, is equal to the gospel. And so for him, this conflict is really about the gospel and what Mm -hmm. the gospel is. Mm -hmm. And so his ascent, I think, becomes another way for him to depict to the Corinthians this conflict around the gospel, the conflict around the knowledge of God. And so I think that's a huge issue for the Corinthian congregation. What kind of knowledge does he want the Corinthians to have? Yes, I think for him, the knowledge is... Jesus Christ crucified. Because even in his early letter, earlier letter to the Corinthians, he says, I preach nothing but Jesus Christ crucified. Mm-hmm. And so I think for him, any gospel that deviates from that is really not the gospel. Okay. And so I think um, that kind of gives us a clue to the type of gospel that possibly the opponents may have been preaching, a different type of gospel than Jesus Christ crucified. I'm sure readers may be surprised, maybe even confused by the fact that Paul, you know, even though his ascent is central to this text, he doesn't give a lot of details about what he saw. And you believe that the lack of detail is intentional. What's going on there? Yeah. So when we look at Paul's ascent compared to other ascent texts, Mm -hmm. 
When we look at other ascent texts, those seers, if you will, who travel to these different levels of heaven, they give enormous amount of detail. Mm -hmm. They tell things they see, things they hear. They give a lot of description. Mm -hmm. But Paul is very laconic in his ascent. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I think he does that purposely because he really wants to concentrate on the conflict, the opposition that the ascent really forefronts. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't want to get the Corinthians to get lost in the details of his ascent, Mm -hmm. but he wants them to see the conflict around the knowledge of God that this ascent highlights. Paul doesn't always like to give a lot of detail. So um, (laughs) can you solve the problem for us? What is Paul's thorn in the flesh and where does it come from? Well, (laughs) this question has been debated for what? (laughs) I'm sure it has. That's right. (laughs) A number of years. So I will just say what I argue in the book is that the thorn in the flesh is this messenger of Satan that Paul receives. And that this angel of Satan, this messenger of Satan has been given to Paul, not by God, but by Satan, who is attempting to stop Paul from ascending to the third heaven and to receive revelation and visions from God. And I think I make that argument in light of the larger argument of the book and that Paul is constantly depicting Satan and Satan's forces mm-hmm. as those who are um, have arrayed themselves against the gospel, against God, against God's people. Mm-hmm. So I'm just adding to the conversation <laughs> How about that? of what the thorn in the flesh is. <laughs> is there a lesson for people of faith, for pastors and lay people alike, in the fact that God does not remove Paul's thorn? Yeah, I think that's um, when God tells Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. I think um, one of the messages that we can take away is that even in the midst of whatever battle we may be facing, God is there with us to preserve us in the midst of that. And I think the fact that God does not abandon Paul Mm -hmm. is a lesson that we can I think we can glean that God will not abandon us as well in the midst of our difficulties and trials and things we may not quite understand, Mm -hmm. but that God is always present with us and um, has promised never to leave us. So for the pastor or the, you know, the person, the pastor who's either reading this in worship and preaching on it Mm -hmm. or the person who's, you know, reading, reflecting um, on their own or in a Bible study, what... What is, um, what are maybe one or two essential words you think for today from this text, from Paul? I think one of the things that really appealed to me as I worked on the book, at the end in chapter 13, so Paul paints this picture and we see that there's so many things happening mm-hmm. in the Corinthian congregation with the intrusion of these missionaries, and some of them are, you know, being deceived by them and kind of falling away. But at the end of the letter, Paul says he's reminding them that Christ is powerfully present among them. Mm-hmm. And so for pastors and for people who are working in congregations, even though there may be different things happening in your congregation that mm-hmm. you feel are not right, mm-hmm. I think to look at this Corinthian congregation and they have all these things going on. And Paul still says, Christ is powerfully among you. 
And so I think it's important for us to focus on the promise of Christ and that Christ is with us and that even in our congregations when things are not going well, we can trust that Christ is there with us. And mm-hmm. so when I, I remember when I was reading that after I did this research, I thought, you know, this is really a powerful statement for Paul to make to this congregation, even, mm-hmm. in, this, even in the midst of everything that's going on in them. The second thing I would say is that I think one of the takeaways from this ascent passage is that God's grace is also God's power. Paul uses those two terms interchangeably, grace and power there. Mm-hmm. And so I think as pastors, as congregational leaders, as chaplains, whatever type of ministry we've been called into, to think about, yes, grace is unmerited favor, but it's also God's power Hmm. working on our behalf. And I think that's something as believers that we can hold on to. You've been listening to The Distillery at Princeton Theological Seminary. Interviews are conducted by me, Dale Rounds, and by Sherry Osteen. Our producer is Nee Otto Abrams. The Distillery is part of The Thread, an online platform with resources on culture, spiritual formation, and leadership. To find out more, visit thethread.ptsem.edu. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Stitcher. And while you're at it, leave us a review and let us know how we're doing. Until next time, thanks for listening.